Hey listeners, welcome to the Alma Bay Spotlights podcast. I'm your host Kalyan and on this show I will interview a diverse set of alumni relations and fundraising professionals that work at institutions of all types and sizes, not just the large popular ones you'll hear from at conferences. My aim is to bring people whose stories are more relatable so that their ideas are more actionable for you. Today I'm going to be talking to Thomas MacArthur. Assistant Vice President for Alumni and Parent Engagement at the College of Wooster, a private liberal arts college in Wooster, Ohio. We talk about his experiences as a student at Hilbert College and then State University of New York at Buffalo, how that led to his first experience with alumni relations and all the intentional career choices from there leading to his current role. Thomas also shares some great insights on the importance of metrics in alumni engagement. Oh and do not miss out on a great book recommendation he has for you all. I hope you find this conversation insightful. Thomas, thank you so much for joining me on the Alma Base Spotlights podcast. I am so excited to speak with you today. Yeah, same here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, I'd love to uh you know talk a little bit more about your current role, but if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to sort of start from the absolute beginning of your journey. Where were you born and raised and which which high school did you go to? Certainly. Well, uh, you know, I grew up in a, a very small uh, rural town um, about an hour south of Buffalo, New York called Mayville, New York. And I, I went to uh, graduated from Chautauqua Lake Central School from high school. Um, and so it was a, a small, small high school. I think I graduated with 71 students in my class. And that impacted, you know, where I wanted to go after high school, when I looked at, you know, my undergraduate experience, um, a smaller college was what I was looking for and what I knew that I needed um, in order to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I see that you, you went to Hilbert College where you majored in psychology. Apart from, you know, being a small college, how did you decide to go to Hilbert College and how was your experience there? Yeah, you know, it's one of the... Um, it was one of the best decisions I could have made in my life and why I you know, currently serve on their board of trustees uh, as a way to, to give back uh, to Hilbert. Um, for me, you know, I did not have the opportunity or the resources to do an extensive college search process as we kind of see today with a lot of students. Um, for me, it was about staying relatively close to home so that I could help out at home when needed um, and looking for an institution that um, was small in size, but offered a lot of opportunities for growth. Um, and when I was on campus, it, it just felt like, um, a second home, you know, the people were incredibly friendly. They had the, the major that I wanted and I knew I would be able to get involved in a lot of clubs and activities and have it and make a difference. Um, and that was a phenomenal experience for me, you know, getting the chance to serve as the Student Government Association president for a few years and travel with the Students in Free Enterprise uh, student group and serve on a presidential search committee. Um, all of those things helped um, me develop as an individual, but also kind of set in motion my desire to work in higher education um, and, and connecting with the individuals there, you know, the, the professional staff 
who were working in student activities and student life and residential life, you know, those were the individuals that influenced my decision to go to the University at Buffalo and study higher education administration. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think for a lot of us, that undergraduate experience, those formative years, you know, play such a big role in, you know, how we think and who we become eventually. Right. And, you know, I, I see that right after um, Hilbert College, you went to State University of New York at Buffalo to get a master's degree in higher education management. So that's interesting. I mean, clearly the undergraduate experience, it, it looks like you became very clear about where you wanted to go. Can you walk me through how you made that decision in terms of the degree and also the university? Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, for me, I have always benefited from mentors um, throughout the course of my entire life. Um, you know, I grew up and had a relatively challenging childhood. And so there were always individuals, whether they were uh, middle school or high school teachers who um, took me under their wing and uh, kind of reached back to help lift me and others up. Um, and so financial aid was a huge um, component for one, not only selecting my undergraduate, but also my graduate degree. Um, you know, Hilbert gave me a full ride scholarship as well as the University of Buffalo did. And for me, that was incredibly important, um, knowing that I did not have to carry that uh, burden, uh, knowing that there was you know, not the resources at home to be able to, to assist. And, and then that also you know, impacted why I wanted to go into um, higher education. Initially, I was thinking leadership development. Uh, Hilbert had a leadership development program that I was involved with. And while I really enjoyed that, um, eventually that morphed into me thinking about fundraising and alumni relations and how I could facilitate others giving back um, in the same way that I was able to benefit from so so greatly. Um, going into a, a higher ed program, um, and during my first year, I was uh, connected to the vice president for student affairs there because he had served on a, a chair at a presidential search committee at Hilbert, in which I was fortunate enough to be uh, the student representative on. And so I early on said to him, you know, I'm looking at all the options. I see that a lot of people go into residence life and student activities and student life. Um, but I'm kind of interested in alumni relations and fundraising. Um, and what do you, you know, what do you think about that? And, and you know, he said it, it will differentiate you from a lot of people who are graduating with higher education degrees. Uh, and it just so happened that he had hired someone to do fundraising for his entire division. And so that led to me being able to do a, a, an, an internship uh, with that individual, which then turned into my graduate assistantship for the second year, um, working in fundraising for his division um, and being able to start a parents program and work with affinity groups and begin an alumni relations program and do some fundraising. And so all of that was, you know, I think instrumental in solidifying the career path that I wanted to go down, which was I benefited greatly from scholarships and aid. And I wanted to, to work in an industry where I could help others give back, not just philanthropically, but also through their their time, through volunteer efforts, um, to to change the trajectory of other students' lives. And I am a firm believer that 
uh, higher education changed my life trajectory, and it has for so many other individuals. You know, it breaks the cycle of poverty. It lifts people up. It teaches um, those life skills, especially a liberal arts education, that is so incredibly important to um, being successful in our society. Yeah, yeah. It's what is so interesting is how all of these different dots connect, right? I mean, all of these little opportunities that you know are just so uh, happen by chance, but you know, eventually all the dots connect to to you know lead you to where you are today. Um, you know, obviously, it it definitely seems like your experience at you know SUNY Buffalo sort of was very formative in your um, you know in your decision to continue in the world of alumni relations and fundraising. And, you know, you've since had a very successful career for over 13 years now. And, you know, in various alumni relations roles, you've moved on and you've sort of worked at University of Rochester. You've worked at Hilbert College. You've worked at University at Buffalo and are currently at the College of Worcester. Any interesting stories that you can share behind those choices? Yeah, I, you know, it's for me, it has always been very intentional. And whenever I would speak to, you know, graduate students in higher education, whether it's at the University of Buffalo or I had a faculty member at Buffalo State College who would invite me in to speak to folks, I would say, you know, you have to find the right opportunity for you. And what is uh, an institution that you connect with? but also the role that you will grow from and where you can add to. And so in each of those uh, career moves, you know, when I go back to the University of Rochester, what was so incredibly important in that role is, you know, they were in the private phase of a, of a $1.5 billion comprehensive campaign. And there I got a chance to learn so much about how to align alumni relations with advancement and how to integrate those programs. And that has been something throughout the course of my career and every office that I've worked has helped me, you know, I've pushed for an alignment and integration with alumni relations and fundraising. And, you know, then when I went to the University of Buffalo, there's nothing like being able to work at your alma mater. You know, it's one of the greatest things. It's also an eye-opening thing. Um, and I had that chance to work at a big Division I uh, institution, an R1, AAU, that um, was massive in size. And so I got to learn a lot about, you know, how to work through some of the bureaucracies that exist at larger institutions while being able to um, initially at the School of Management help grow with a program that it had existed for many, many years um, and be able to think differently about working with a dues-paying alumni association and how that impacted the work that we were doing in alumni engagement. And then when the College of Arts and Sciences, which was is the largest unit at the University of Buffalo, and wanted to build an alumni engagement program, they had already had a fundraising program, but they were looking to build um, the alumni component. Um, I jumped at the opportunity to, you know, dive in. And I used to tell, you know, and talk with the team all the time and say, you know, we're doing, we're laying the foundation now that will exist hopefully for decades to come and will create the opportunities for alumni to reconnect with their faculty and departments and the college um, and be able to give back in so many different ways, um, which was, you know, another exciting component. 
And lastly, as I looked at the College of Worcester, you know, they had a, a brand new president. They were getting ready to launch uh, the largest comprehensive fundraising campaign in the institution's history. Um, they wanted to take a program where it was and really develop and grow it and think about metrics and engagement scores and aligning it more closely with fundraising. And those were some of the things that I was able to do at the University of Buffalo in conjunction with a lot of other people. And so each stop has allowed me, one, not only to grow in my career, but also to take what I have learned at the previous place and put that into action and add something uh, to the place. And, you know, I always like to think that, you know, we leave an institution a little bit better than when we found it, we hope. Um, and I feel like I, I've hopefully done that at each place. And yet they have made me a little bit better um, after each uh, position. And so those are, those are kind of how those choices came to be. But I think you have to be incredibly intentional in each career move um, that you make. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure you've left each of those places a little better. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious, you know, over the last 13 years, as, as you've moved from, you know, one institution to another, but also some of the fundamentals of what it means to do the work of alumni relations, alumni engagement and fundraising, a lot of that has changed, right? You know, probably never more than in the last 12 months, right? What do you think some of the biggest changes were over the last 12 to 13 years in terms of alumni relations and alumni engagement? Yeah, I think you're right. You know, the the last 12 months have certainly been um, eye-opening uh, for, for the entire industry. Um, in some cases, the work that uh, I was doing um, at the University of Rochester and the University of Buffalo was a little bit... Uh, groundbreaking in some cases in the sense of, you know, looking at metrics and data and how we strategically use that to plan for the future. Um, we were using engagement scores, gosh, 10, 12 years ago. Um, wow. And we were thinking about alumni officer portfolios in the same way that our development officers think about portfolios back at the University at Buffalo. And we, we launched that program Um and, you know, there were some bumps along, along the road, as there always are, um, whenever you launch a, a brand new initiative. But it allowed us to more closely align the work that our um, alumni engagement officers were doing with fundraising. And, and I think one of the, the greatest opportunities for the industry, uh, but also, uh, you know, a shift, has been you know, the more our alumni engagement officers are brought to the table with our fundraisers, I think it, it legitimizes the field and the industry. It gives our professionals an equal uh, footing at the, at the table. Um, it allows them to bring the, the knowledge of the volunteers and the alumni that they've worked with um, to be just as important as our fundraising efforts and also to really complement them very well. And I think as the industry even continues to evolve, we will see 
alumni officers not only carrying portfolios, but also being responsible for making those annual fund asks. And so there will be an even more of a a blurring of the lines between um, alumni engagement and the annual fund, which you see at a lot of institutions where they've merged those offices together. Um, But it also opens up huge career opportunities for alumni engagement officers as they think about the next steps for them um, being able to say that they worked with with data and a portfolio and they are approaching the situation to think about um, you know how we are engaging our alumni in a real holistic way I think that continues to be a trend that we'll see even more of um, also how we are uh, working closely with our communications partners if we don't oversee those uh, in our own shops but how we are, speaking to our, our alumni in a very segmented way. Um, however, making sure that it feels genuine, you know, and now with a lot of data, you can, you can really segment your alumni populations in so many different ways. And the, the benefit is that our alumni then feel like we know who they are, right? If you were a student athlete, we should, should acknowledge that we, we know you're a student athlete, but making sure that it feels genuine and it doesn't feel like it's, um, you know, like an Amazon speaking to you where there's, you know, millions of, of customers and the end goal is just um, complete another sale. But it's keeping our alumni uh, informed and involved in the life of the institution. And lastly, I would say, I think there has been a, a continued merging towards a holistic view of engagement, which is... Um, that our alumni who are volunteering and being involved, while some people like to say that that then leads to um, donations, philanthropic donations, I like to think about it as we want our alumni to be engaged and being engaged means making a gift. And so that also then helps our alumni officers reframe their approach because if you're looking for engagement, engagement also means that you make a gift every year to the annual fund. And so I think that is a trend that we will hopefully see merge closer and closer uh, together um, over the course of the next few years. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more on the need for aligning alumni relations with fundraising and also how you spoke about when it comes to the relationship with an alum, it's one continuous life cycle where, you know, engagement could mean so many different things along with making a gift as opposed to sort of the end goal of alumni engagement being about making a gift. So, you know, that's, that's definitely something that I align with as well. Um, You spoke a lot about metrics and data. What are some of the most important metrics that you use right now to measure the effectiveness of alumni engagement at your institution? Yeah, I think this is an ever-evolving um, kind of process, right? Uh, you know, I think initially it was how many people came to that event, right? That was our our big, yeah. you know, big numbers. How many uniquely engaged alumni did we have? Which is all, it's a fantastic place to start, right? Yeah. But if your data isn't telling you a, a story, you know, whether that's an internal story of, we need to make some decisions about uh, which programs we invest in or, or you know, discontinue, or we want to um, hire a new position that looks at uh, alumni career services or working with uh, affinity groups, interest and identity-based. 
Um, or it's an external story that you tell, which is here is the impact that our alumni have on the institution. And for so long, we've done annual reports, but those annual reports from an institutional perspective usually look at the fundraising aspect, right? Here's how much we raised. Here's the donor role. Um, so how are we telling a, a deeper story um, about the impact that our alumni have? So, you know, there's, we look at, you know, certainly how many alumni we are engaging, how many new alumni are we bringing to the table? Um, mm-hmm. When we're doing visits uh, in a particular region, you know, when we could do in-person uh, visits, you know, looking at engagement score, if this person has a medium engagement score and has not made a gift in the last couple of years, they might be a prime target for us to ask for a um, for a visit um, or pairing that with an alumni attitude survey and then being able to get a score from that and say, well, you know, from from our data, they feel really great about the institution. They've been mediumly engaged um, and they have not made a gift. So maybe it's just we need a personal ask. And while the, the annual fund, you know, direct mail solicitations and emails are, are great, sometimes it takes a personal ask um, to one of those individuals for them to say yes to volunteering or yes to uh, making a gift around a particular giving day or towards the end of um, the calendar year for for their own tax purposes. Um, so we look at, you know, from an engagement standpoint, you know, the newly engaged, but also we look at it based on decades, you know, so are we looking um, to maybe do some programming that engages our 80s and 90s grads in a different way? And what are some of the programming that those individuals might be most interested in? Because we know kind of from a volunteer pipeline development that, you know, we want to make sure that we're engaging all of those decades. Um, and so we look at things like that. We also look at, you know, based on identity, you know, how engaged are those those groups of individuals? And can we do more in order to move the needle or uh, deepen those relationships? Um, and then, you know, certainly looking at region, you know, if we know that, which we do for, you know, the Midwest, the the high school population rate continues to decline. And so our admissions efforts will not only be focused here, but we'll also look at places like the southwest of the nation. And how do we begin developing alumni relationships and programming in those areas in advance of a shift or an increased effort that our admissions colleagues will place so that we can be prepared to help deliver um, on those those needs uh, with our alumni um, before the, the need is even there. And that takes a lot of, you know, partnership across campus. Um, we also look at, you know, for individuals who are involved in some of our career development efforts, you know, there's usually a higher um, amount of engagement there and usually a higher uh, level of donations uh, that come from those individuals. So how are we paying attention and stewarding those volunteers to make sure that they're doing they continue to do the work and that also we're then building the pipeline uh, uh, you know a volunteer management pipeline that feeds into things like the alumni board and our alumni trustees and the board of trustees so those are just some of the things that we look at yeah yeah what i absolutely love about your approach is how you're using data to be able to segment your alumni, um, you know, in, into different segments that might potentially have different needs in terms of how they want to stay connected with with the college, 
and then being able to serve those needs. I, I call this approach alumni centric, right? Which mm-hmm. is you start with what your alumni want and then facilitate for providing those services. Right? Yeah, um, and it's it, it just real quick. It's it's no different than how we have approached from a donor perspective you know, a donor centric approach, which is where, you know, what is most important to these individuals as far as their, you know, their philanthropy and then how that matches up with a need that the institution has. Um, and I think we just have to be careful when we think about it from a, an alumni centric approach that it is, it's not just about what the institution needs, right. And how our alumni can help us, but also to your point, are we delivering the personal and professional enrichment programs that our exactly. alumni care about? And and that will differ, right? For our black alumni, it might be different from our 1980s alumni. And our most recent grads might have a different need that they express, maybe more career um, development needs versus, you know, our post 50th, who is really looking at you know, thinking back to their time on campus and maintaining those connections. So to your point, it's got to be about what the alumnus or the alumni also need. Um, and that impacts what we deliver on. Exactly. Exactly. I, I couldn't agree more uh, with that. You know, I mean, um, it's really important to be able to look at different populations of your alumni and not just sort of look at tradition in terms of what programming you've always done uh, versus, you know, what are the needs of my alumni today and how can I as a college be a facilitator where, you know, we continue to deliver value to our alumni. And that's a, that's a really important question to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit here. I want to sort of get a little more into your current role. We've, we've already started talking about this, but you know, as the assistant vice president for alumni and parent engagement at the College of Worcester, what are your top priorities at the moment? Yeah, you know, for us um, right now, I think, you know, COVID certainly has it, it threw us into a virtual engagement realm, which in some cases has um, been a, a, a phenomenal um opportunity for us to engage some people who never had a chance to engage with us, right? When we think about, we used to do this National Interview Day program, where in all of our key areas, alumni would interview prospective students um, in those regions. They'd have coffee with them, and it was a, a great opportunity for them to learn, for the student to learn a little bit more about the college and, and the opportunities there, but also for the alumni to be able to kind of figure out if there was a real fit um, and if that student might be successful, maybe in a different way than what the admissions counselor might have um, discovered or what their, you know, written documents tell us. And while it was a great program, and I think there are still phenomenal opportunities for in-person engagement there, when we shifted to an online Zoom uh, interview setting, we were able to do so many more interviews and students who lived in particular areas where we didn't have alumni or very few alumni. And I especially think internationally, this opened up some great opportunities for us. So right now we're thinking about, you know, we've had great success with the virtual engagement. I think we're starting and as a lot of schools are starting to see a little bit of a, a downward slope in the number of alumni who were wanting to do Zoom calls, uh, Zoom events uh, after hours, um, 
I think people are maybe hitting a little bit of a wall there. Um, but how, what does that uh, hybrid model look like? We know we're going to go back to in-person programming. We, we also know that because of the success that we've had with virtual programs, we have to continue that as well. And so I think offices all across the country are saying, how do we, what is the right balance? Um, we know that with limited resources, I'm sure that, you know, most everyone listening to this um, or who will be listening to this has experienced some type of a, a decline in resources, whether it was budget or you had a staff person leave and you weren't able to fill that role or you're trying to do more with less or just you're trying to be more effective in your ROI. We're all trying to figure out, okay, we, we want to do more with virtual, but we're a little bit concerned with the staff we have. Can, can we maintain both? So that's, that's one kind of uh, priority that we're thinking about uh, right now. Um, we're also thinking from a leadership perspective, what does a return to work look like for people in our division and at our college? Um, and knowing that each division is a little bit different. So we're having those types of conversations, knowing some people are going to want to work from home uh, and maybe some roles can and maybe some roles can't. So that's a challenging um, thing to think through. Um, and we're also trying to think about, um, you know, shifting the focus from let's just do as much as we can to let's be really thoughtful, strategic um, and intentional with every program that we do. And I think in some cases, virtual has kind of opened that up in a sense because, you know, you don't need to find a venue. You don't need to find the most central location within a city. You don't need to think about food and beverage and all of those additional logistical details. And the cost is certainly significantly lower. But I think we have to be cautious in our approach to say, let's still be meaningful. And to your point earlier, Let's look at what our alumni want and need, and then how we deliver on that. And for us, you know, we've done a lot of career programming um, over the course of the last, you know, year in launching our Fighting Scots Career Connections uh, platform, which is an opportunity for students and alumni to make connections, but also alumni and alumni uh, to, to get together and really grow and uh, grow our global alumni network. Um but, but making sure that, you know, what is it that they need and want and how are we delivering on that? So those are just some some of the, the ideas that we're thinking about. And then lastly, I would say, you know, how do we continue to bring underrepresented uh, voices to the table? Mm -hmm. um, how do we diversify our programming um, to make sure it's hitting the needs of what our alumni want? but also that those voices are being lifted up and brought to the table, whether that's through our, our volunteer opportunities, through our representation on the alumni board and the board of trustees. Um, and how are we making those connections back to students? Because our student population looks differently now and has different needs than it did 30 or 40 years ago. And so how do we make sure that we are continuing to keep up with all of those changes and anticipate some of them so that we're always delivering on what our alumni need? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, with, you know, us moving to virtual engagement, the, the scope of who we can engage has broadened so much. It's not only possible now, but it's also important, like you said, to diversify our programs and make them more accessible to everyone. Uh, so I completely understand, uh, you know, where you're coming from. I want to switch gears a little bit again. Um, 
I want to sort of talk about one or two interesting sort of campaigns that you did. I hope that the listeners of this podcast will find that uh, useful. There was this really interesting campaign that you did um, called Highland Games, which I think was a virtual trivia competition for alumni. And I believe you generated a ton of engagement through that. I absolutely loved that idea. Can you walk us through that campaign in a little more detail so that you know the listeners can get inspired? Absolutely. Yeah, it was um, a, a really fun take on you know a, a traditional trivia uh, competition in a couple different ways. One, we used, um, we said we wanted our alumni to be able to compete in teams as you would do at a normal trivia contest at one of your local bars in person, right? Um, <laughs> we wanted to to play a little bit on the fact that our alumni, we wanted them to connect on those teams based on their affinities. So, you know, we had some former student-athlete teams um, who competed together or different affinity groups that would would compete. And then our alumni were super creative in the names that they, you know, they selected for their teams that also told a little bit of the story as to why that team, how that team came together. And then we used kind of a, a March Madness bracketed approach to uh, the elimination of those teams um, and Stephanie Marringer on our team, who was really instrumental in making this all happen, was the one who you know looked up trivia questions and and thought about how we would use Zoom and breakout rooms and Google Forms to be able to you know collect the responses to the questions. Um, it worked out really really well, and we have done it now twice. I think we'll take a little bit of a break from it, but I think. In each round, we had uh, 160 or 180 people um, wow. for each of those rounds. And it was just fun to see people continuing to kind of follow, even after their team may have been eliminated. Other teams who were advancing. And I think one of the, the nice things is that it wasn't only College of Worcester trivia, right? It was, you know, we, we tried to branch out. Now, certainly for some of the final rounds, there were some more um, – really unique questions about the College of Worcester and our history or traditions that we we brought out. Um, and we would pepper in a few of those, uh, you know, questions throughout each of the rounds. But it, it was just something that was fun. It engaged a lot of individuals, some new, some new alumni that had not been involved in other activities. And I think the other key was each time um, we met, so it was each week for, I think, four weeks to begin with, um, we kept it to no more than an hour. And so that ability to just sign on, do it, and then, you know, have your, your evening back, I think was something that alumni appreciated because they knew, all right, I'm going to give one hour to this. I'm going to see my friends and get to catch up a little bit, have some fun with trivia, and then, you know, continue to have your evening was also important to its success. Yeah, I think that is such an interesting format. I, I really hope that other institutions will take inspiration from this. Are there other um, you know, alumni engagement campaigns or ideas like this that have worked really well for you, especially over the last 12 months? Yeah, you know, our Alumni Insights uh, program and our Alumni Winter College both have been um, really great campaigns in that, you know, and they're, they're not necessarily anything that's, you know, groundbreaking in the sense that other institutions are not having the same level of success, I'm sure. But, you know, the ability to highlight alumni 
And initially it was a little bit of pandemic related materials um, and information, but then it branched out into, you know, what information, what hobbies could our alumni offer to each other that we could then highlight that individual, record the session, um, and then alumni could benefit from it. So for some of them, they were, you know, bourbon tasting 101. Um, others were, you know, learn how to play with your dog or take care of your animals during the pandemic. And some were more professional career-based, like um, careers in nonprofits and utilizing one of our um, alumni board members who has a search firm for nonprofit executives and thinking about how uh, alumni move um, uh, through the nonprofit sector from, you know, early on to mid-level and then to the kind of C-level positions and what's important to all of those. So I would say our alumni college and our alumni insights program have also been very successful. And we're actually just launching another one that's coming up called Women in Philanthropy. And so we are highlighting, um, it's a four-part series. And the first part is looking at kind of setting the foundation um, of information and research. We're using uh, two professionals at uh, the Women's Philanthropy Institute at Indiana University who are going to kind of begin with a little bit of here's the research that's taking place and what it says about women and wealth and how women give back um, and how they make decisions about their own philanthropy. And then we're going to move into you know, investing strategies for women um, and how they might differ from from men, um, and then highlight some of the transformative philanthropists at our own institution. Um, so, you know, anywhere from you know recent grads all the way up through to see what that looks like in various cultures and regions at age uh, at different ages, and then lastly, looking at what does a career in the philanthropic sector look like from working at a theater to nonprofits to higher education. And so we're really excited about that uh, new opportunity. The numbers are really fantastic. Um, so anyone who's interested can send me an email and we'll, uh, we'd love to have you join because I think it's going to be something that um, is appropriate and uh, timely and, and certainly something we should all be thinking about. Yeah, I love those ideas and they're, they're very relevant to the times. Um, before we wrap up, Thomas, I have three rapid fire questions for you. Um, number one, what's one book that you would recommend to your peers in alumni relations and fundraising? You know, for me, I think a, a huge component of our time is, is, um, taken up by our management uh, and our managing of our, our colleagues, our campus partners, um, the people that we work with. And so Radical Candor by Kim Scott is a book that I continue to come back to and a podcast that I continue to listen to because it offers just really phenomenal um, advice for managers and how we approach um, you know, creating change within our organization. So for example, you know, something that has always stuck with me is you know, when we're as a manager, you're going to give um, maybe some constructive feedback to an employee. We often spend a lot of time preparing for that, right? We think about how we're going to say something, how they might say something back, how we're coaching them through and making sure that emotion stays limited. And the argument they make is oftentimes when we're giving positive feedback to our employees, 
we don't necessarily take the same amount of time to prepare and be as intentional in what we're going to say and making sure that, you know, it giving, you know, positive feedback is not just an off the cuff, hey, great job with that, but really being specific about why you did such a great job. Um, So Radical Candor is one that I recommend to everyone because I just think it's a fantastic book. That's great. Yeah, it's one that I should read as well. Definitely sounds like a good one. Um, Question two, what what advice would you give your 20-year-old self, Thomas? Yeah, so, you know, I think I would, I'd look back, gosh, 20 years old, so I'm still in college at the time. But, uh, I, you know, I think I would say, you know, continue to work hard, uh, stay positive, uh, be an individual who, if you say you're going to do something, make sure you do it. And, and your work is a reflection of yourself. And so always make sure that that is a positive reflection. Um, make sure that the commitments you make to others um, are important and ones that you don't back away from. Um, make intentional career choices, as I talked about earlier. Um, innovate wherever you can. And you know, keep trying to make a difference because there are so many opportunities, not only professionally, but also personally, where we as individuals can make a difference large and small, right? A simple smile or holding the door for someone can have a significant impact. And so never lose sight of the fact that we each can have our own small impact on um, on our world um, wherever we are and wherever we go. Love that. That's great. Um, finally, what's your favorite resource or software tool that you use in this job? I mean, something that you keep going back to. Yeah, I think for us, um, I'd say that there are there's a couple that have been incredibly helpful for us. We went through a, a CRM conversion uh, not too long before the pandemic hit, and so we went with Razor's Edge and NXT. And I, while you know, no no software is perfect, and no software is the magic bullet to solve all of your issues and um, needs. The ability, it transformed our work um, and and made us as a division more efficient and effective, but also um, working from home, we wouldn't have been able to do the work we were able to do this year if we hadn't had that that tool and resource. Secondly, I would say um, our work with FirstHand, which is what powers our Fighting Scott's Career Connections platform, has been really important, especially during this time when Alumni are still in need from a, a networking standpoint. They are still in need from a um, from a career development uh, and and making those connections. And also, uh, you know, during some really dark times, I said to our team, you know, for us to be able to bring uh, our alumni. The ability to look back at their formative years and some, you know, some of the best times of their lives. That might be the one highlight of their day or week or even month, uh, depending on what they're going through at the time. And so, for us to be able to do that is really, uh, I think, a, a great um, privilege. And so, our, our Fighting Scott Career Connection, powered by First Hand, has allowed us to do that. And one that we haven't yet implemented, but I'm uh, looking forward to, is uh, the ability to partner with you and AlmaBase as we think about, you know, 
new opportunities for event management and engagement and, uh, you know, the ability to create those connections. Um, that's one that we're looking forward to down the road, but, uh, you know, it's certainly one that we're excited about. Absolutely. I look forward to that as well. That's awesome. Again, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me, Thomas. Have a good one. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to chat with you. Uh, be well and, and take care. Thank you.